for all of your TNA needs, head to tensandaces.com. Are you ready for some TNA? My friends and I aren't your average blackjack players. We're all APs, which, if you don't know, stands for advantage player. As in, we play with a mathematical edge or advantage over the house. Yep, card counters, that would be us. On this podcast, I'm going to bring you true life stories about the AP life. There'll be stories of all the times we fucked up. Stories when we made out like bandits. Stories of losing more in one session than a lot of people make in a year. Stories of getting backed off in one shoe. Stories of average shows out here doing this card counting thing. With some of us crushing it. And some of us just making our way through it. So if this is the kind of shit you want to hear, well listen up. Because we're about to give you some TNA. And welcome to the Tens and Aces podcast. I'm your host, I'm Mike. On today's show, our guest is a returning guest, the one and only Snowman. So sit back and listen as we give you our attempts at Imaginary Radio. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can reach out to us at Tens and Aces, the number 21 at gmail.com. Or you can call the listener voicemail line at area code 518. 518- 289-0478. That's area code 518-289-0478. So now that all the formalities are out of the way, I got one question for you. Are you ready for some TNA? With me today is the snowman again. Thanks for having me back. So you had some interesting floppy stories, or actually not floppy stories, but uh, new dealer and incompetent floor stories to share. Sure. You know, we've talked before about how when dealers make mistakes that are in our favor, you know, the morality of not saying anything. And I think both of us at this point really come to the conclusion that if they make a mistake in our favor, we just shut our mouths and don't say anything. Mm -hmm. We don't try to make them make mistakes, but when they do, we just collect the money and move on. Um, But there's a flip side to that, which is the dealers make a lot of mistakes that are in the house's favor. And I am definitely quick to point those out. And recently, three different times I had problems where the casino tried to shortchange me in just a short span of days. And it really drove home that casinos make a lot of mistakes. And these were mistakes made by both the dealer, the pit boss, and the cashier. So you really have to be vigilant at every step to make sure the casino is not shortchanging you. And in one of these cases, it was they only it was five dollars. In another case, it was twenty five dollars. And in another case, it was four hundred dollars. Not cool, casino. Not cool. Yeah. And <laughs> in the first case, it was uh, I was at a blackjack table. It was a new dealer. He, he said he'd been dealing a couple months. He was making a lot of mistakes. And so typically when I color up, say if I have, say, $712 in front of me, I will send enough chips into whatever they would color up and I keep the extra ones behind, right? So I count them out before I send them to the dealer because I know what to expect back. Um, most people don't do that. They just push all their chips back and whatever they get back, they get back. And, you know, probably the majority of the time that works fine. 
mm-hmm. except for when the dealer makes a mistake. And in this particular case, I had a little over $700. I sent 700 and it was mixed. It was quarters, nickels. They have these goofy two and a half dollar pieces, single dollar pieces, but it totaled 700 I was sure of that before I sent the money in. They, you know, the dealers have a certain way they cut out the chips and stack them in front. And then he cuts out $710, which is $10 too much. He calls the pit boss over, you know, he's ready to send it to me. And the pit boss just kind of looks at him and says, well, that's wrong. So the young dealer counts it out again. And the second time he came up with $695 as being the amount. So the first case, he's overpaying me by 10. And up to this point, I hadn't said a word. The second case, he's underpaid me by $5. And here's the interesting part. So the dealer, there's 700 in front of him. He cuts out 695. The supervisor standing at his shoulder. The supervisor okays 695, and they push the entire stack of 695 dollars to me. And he's ready to start taking the other chips and putting them in the rack. And I stopped mm-hmm. him. I said, "Are you sure this is correct?" As soon as I said that, the interesting thing was that the supervisor got an attitude with me, like, "Like, how dare you question me?" Kind of attitude. And he takes right. his pen out of his pocket and he starts pointing at the chip piles and like, "I don't know how to add the 700." Like, you know, when he goes through his math and he comes up with 695 and i said are you sure that's correct a second time and he goes through it and now he's really a kind of an attitude with me like how dare i twice question and only then does he finally figure out that he had made a mistake right that so and here's the bad part first the kid made a mistake at 695 then the kid made a mistake at seven or i mean first he made a mistake at 710 that's mistake one and then both him and the supervisor make a mistake at 695 and then they make a mistake a second time or actually a third time and so i would be came pretty agitated by this and, and so i even kind of point out it's like oh you know oh so you mean it's really 700 right and then he starts kind of jawing at me like i somehow did something wrong and you know i thought to myself well if i wasn't advocating for myself i would have been shortchanged mm-hmm. truth be told it was only five dollars but it's not the principle it's the principle exactly that it's not that they're shortchanging me five dollars it's that it's first it's the dealer's job to color up correctly and then two it's the supervisor's job to double check to make sure the dealer did it right so when they both come up with the wrong answer there's really a problem there yeah. not so much with their protocol but with their training right if, if there's two of them there neither one of them can add up correctly and it, that kind of quickly spiraled out of control because then i was pretty agitated and this is a really good game i shouldn't be rubbing salt in the wound i shouldn't be doing anything to agitate but I, I was just kind of pissed off the way i was treated like i was treated like i was an idiot and i didn't know what i was talking about so i start kind of jawing back at him making comments like well at least i can count you know to 700 <laughs> and he and he didn't like that and he he finally got mad and i said stop i said i'm not you know because then he finally wanted to send me 700 and i said stop i'm not talking to you anymore go get your supervisor and he didn't like that and so we i literally stop the game all the other players were pissed off because now the game was stopped he called someone on the phone i literally had to stay at the table for about i probably about 10 minutes before a supervisor finally came and the supervisor went into the pit talked to him he he had his pen out i couldn't hear what he was saying all this stupid plexiglass and everything we have nowadays mm-hmm. uh explained some things to the supervisor and then she came out of the pit around at the side of the table i was at and i you know, kind of explained to her that, you know, it, I don't I don't care about the five dollars. I care about how I was treated. And I pointed out there's lots of casinos. I could take my business anywhere. Now, truth be told, if they were smart, they'd be like, yes, please take your business anywhere because all you do is win here and we don't like you. But you right. Know, They're not that smart. Well, yeah, they haven't caught on yet. So in some ways, 
I'm already extracting money out of it, so should I really be banking a big stink over $5? No, I shouldn't. No. For the longevity of the game, I should just say thank you for correcting the mistake, shut my mouth, and walk away. But, you know, everybody has their kind of breaking point. For me, that was my breaking point, where I was pretty agitated at that point, and I had plenty of choice words for the uh, pit boss. Not the supervisor, but the pit boss. And uh, she finally said, I'm sorry, and she said, I will have a talk with him, and I took my money and went on my way. So, it's a $5 mistake, but <laughs> it's the principle again. Yes. Yeah. So then, and the, got, and the way you were, and the way you were treated too. Yeah, it was that was the thing that really got me. It's like, okay, the in the dealer was young, he's new, he's making mistakes, and that's part of why I was sitting at the table. It, the game has really good rules. He was giving an excellent pen, and he's making mistakes. Sometimes he's paying pushes. Sometimes he's paying blackjacks five to two. By five to two means. You have a blackjack, you get paid three to two, you take your winning bet back, you leave your original bet up there, and then if the dealer busts, he pays the whole table again. So your your blackjack, in fact, gets paid twice, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's his job. You know, the way they're supposed to do it, if there's no cards in front of the bet, you don't pay the bet. Well, he's still paying the bet. So, you know, I'm not going to. Uh-huh. So that's you, those were part of the reasons I was at his table. Do you see, uh, I'm on your side here, but do you see the irony there? Yes. Of... Oh, yeah. <laughs> You get adamant about it? Yeah. Clearly someone could be listening to this saying, well, yeah, stop being a hypocrite, right? When, you know, right. they make make a mistake against you, you point it out. When they make a mistake for you, you keep your mouth shut. And is that morally or ethically wrong? You know, you, people can make those arguments. But the thing is, they have protocols and they have procedures and it's their job to adhere to those. And they have someone to double check. The dealer makes a transaction and the pit boss is there to double check to make sure it's correct. So if they go through all that and they still make an error, then, you know, how far should I go to correct their errors? And so I've mm-hmm. taken the approach. If it hurts me, I point it out. If it helps me, I don't say a word. And, you know, there, someone could argue that that's wrong. And I you know, I don't know if I could really argue with their point other than that's just how I operate. Oh, we're not. The, the main defense in that is that we're not there to babysit them. Correct. Had to, their entire job in that transaction yes. is, is to double check with the dealers, especially because it's a new dealer. You should be even watching even closer. Yes. So, so I had that happen. And I mean, this isn't the first time I've seen mistakes. I've seen mistakes many times, but interestingly, like a day or two later, I'm at another casino and almost the exact same scenario plays out. I was at a casino. It was triple points day, kind of a marginal game, but I was there playing. And once again, I colored up 700, I had a little more than 700. I counted out 700 as I you know, always do whatever the nearest hundred dollar amount is. I pushed 700 and chips up there. And this time I had quarters, nickels, dollars, and half dollar pieces. And Mm -hmm. so the dealer cuts out $675, six black chips, three green, right? So he says 675. The supervisor comes over, she okays 675. He pushes 675 chips. And I said, are you sure that that's not 700? And she counts it out and both the dealer and the supervisor counted out and they're sure it's 675. And finally I have to point the chips to the chips on the felt myself. It's, it's not 675, it's 700. Now I just got off this two days earlier where, you know, I, where I was using choice words and not being very nice. And I figured, okay, there's no reason to scream at these people. It's not going to get me anywhere. So, but I just, but I was adamant that, okay, you guys need to learn to count, right? You know, why is yeah. it? And I think I even said, why is it that I'm the only one here that can add to 700? And so they did finally correct it. And it's because of the goofy way they stack the chips, right? It, it Their system for aligning the chips to count them up actually makes it way more likely they're going to make mistakes. 
Mm. Uh, so they did correct it. They gave me the 700. I didn't make a big stink. I went on my way. You mean um, how they stack in piles of 75, not not 100? Yes, that, that, about. that too. And in this case, it was because I had something like uh, $500 in green, and then I had one more green chip. And then they mm. put the reds in mm. the stacks and stuff. But right. that one green that was there kept throwing them off because they weren't counting the, that single green that was sitting there alone. It's it's all how they're arranging them on the felt. If they arranged them in a more sensical manner, it would be much easier for them to not make mistakes. But my point being that they uh, this is this is me being very attentive to what's going on. What what I fear is, say you're just partying with friends, you're not paying attention, or you're drinking, you just push all your chips up there. Imagine how many times you get paid the wrong amount, mm -hmm. and how many times you're probably actually being shortchanged by the casino. That's right. kind of a scary. So there were those two things. And then I had, like, just a day after that, I had a third incident. And, and this one has happened to me twice at the same casino this year. I went to the cage, it was at the end of a session, and I gave the lady at the cage five black chips and four white chips. So the blacks are hundreds and the whites are dollars. So I gave her $504, five black chips, four white chips, pretty clear. And this is a place where the cashiers do not ask for a verification. A lot of casinos, they'll do a verified, meaning they'll, they'll look right. at the chips, they'll get a number, they'll take the cash out of the box, and then they'll ask for another cashier to verify before they send the money. Well, this sure. casino doesn't do verifications, or at least below a certain threshold. So I'm standing there. She takes my $504 in chips. She doesn't say the amount. She takes money out of her drawer. I see she's taking 20s out of the drawer. Didn't make any sense to me. And she counts out five 20s and four ones. So I gave her 504. She gives me back 104. So she shorts <laughs> me $400. She pushes she doesn't count the dollar amount out. She pushes all the bills to me. And I didn't say a word. I didn't reach for the money. I just stood there. And she didn't say anything for a number of seconds. And then eventually she says, oh, you need more money, right? Now, that's a pretty egregious error where I give them 504 and they give me 104 back. And now Somebody scary, half drunk could have walked it. Yeah, I think that's where you're correct. going with that. Could have yes. walked off with that. Correct. You know, I mean, if I would have scooped the money and been two steps away, she would have already taken those chips and put them in her drawer. And here, here's what's scary. And in this case, so I had a cashier once at a casino tell me, he said, if I give you a hundred extra, I get a day off from work. If I'm, sh no, if I short someone a hundred, I get a week off from work. Meaning if they pay out, if the cashier paid out too much, okay, that's bad. But it's actually way worse if they shorted a player, right? Hmm. Uh, now, this was many years ago. I heard that whether it was true, I don't know. It's what he had said. So that so this scenario I described is actually the second time that's recently happened to me at the same casino. And what I wonder is, I'm not certain. I almost think it was the same cashier that did this to me because a number of months back, I had another time where I had one purple chip, purple or 500 and, you know, some probably a few white chips for a few dollars more. And it was the same thing. Happened. I, I get, she had a purple. I gave her the purple plus a couple little ones. Maybe it was $504 again. And she cuts out $100 bill for ones and pushes it to me. Same, almost the exact same scenario where mm. I got, I literally got shorted $400. And the second time this happened recently, I thought about it later and I'm like, I'm not, it's very possible it was the same cashier that did that to me. And again, if the cashier's off by $400 in that single transaction, that cannot go unnoticed because, you know, the cashier's till is going to have to match the amount of chips they have at the end sure. of the day. So there's only a couple possible outcomes of that. Either if she's making, 
if if I've run into the same person who's made this mistake twice, how many times in a day is she making that mistake? A lot, right? It's, it can't be I just happen to be the unlucky person she did it to twice. How the hell is she still there? <laughs> exactly. That's the airpoint. How does she still have a job? So then you have to start wondering, do they have mm -hmm. lax internal controls? Is she defrauding the casino somehow? Is she shorting me? And then when a friend comes up, she's overpaying them so her till will balance at the end of the day, right? So you really right. have to start wondering what's going wrong but i can't say for sure that it was the same person who shorted me but it was like a little bit i think heavy set middle-aged white lady and i know i've not really narrowed it down that much more that much <laughs> as far as the population but in hindsight i I, I wonder aloud, was it the same person that did that to both times? And it that's a pretty, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of transactions with cashiers over the years. And, you know, to have that big of an error in the same casino twice in a number of months just does not seem. Absolutely. Right. So moral of the story to everyone listening is be vigilant. You make sure whether you're coloring up at a table or or cashing out at a cashier that you're getting correct change because they do make mistakes and they make them a lot and if you don't say something it could cost you oh definitely uh do you have any more interesting stories from the field since the last time we talked since i have you uh, uh, sessions where the count's super high and you lose every hand i mean those you know tend to happen a lot or uh you know some recreational players berating your play or something like that. I mean, that's like kind of a daily occurrence. Um, Share your favorite one of those stories from uh, recent. Oh man. I'd almost have to think about that for a minute. So many, we have the power of editing. So oh, take a time, true. take your time. <laughs> so I understand you uh, had some recent experience with shuffle tracking. Yes. Uh, a lot of the double deck games I'm not allowed to play you know, I've been backed off at these joints. I tend to like even like a side counts. I don't tend to. I only usually keep a side counts in double deck games. When I get into six deck games, or even worse, when I have to play eight deck games, I generally don't keep a side count of aces. Interestingly, playing a, a really good six deck game within the last week, where at this particular casino, the dealer deals for an hour and then has a 20 minute break. So this dealer was at this table all day. She was giving phenomenal 5.5 out of six pen very good game uh six deck with late surrender double after split some other nice rules too so when i first sat down the, and there was no mid shoe entry six deck but there was no mid shoe entry because it was in a high limit pit i sit down at the first shoe and i noticed within just over a deck in we had already seen i think eight of the aces and we were at some silly like negative 16 count meaning all i were seeing were face cards and aces rolling off the top of the deck and i and i took special note that there was a clump of high value cards right at the very bottom of the discard tray so i play out the rest of the shoe this dealer did a fairly competent shuffle some of the dealers do very lazy shuffles this is two pass shuffle you know in the first pass the cards get because of the way they shuffle get to the top of the stack in the second pass, they basically get moved to the bottom stack. I paid very close attention as she was shuffling to make to make sure that clump was still together. I then, there was one other person at the table with me, an older white gentleman. And even as she's shuffling, I said, I would like to cut the next shoe. And he, and he said, you can cut as many as you want. And so I cut, so the clump was at the back of the shoe, roughly the back deck. I cut a little more than a deck in, maybe closer to deck and a half. Just, I want to make sure I'm catching that clump. 
Mm-hmm. Of course, that gets brought to the front. This particular casino will even show you the burn card. Oh, I see the burn card. Great. I start two hands moderately high on my ramp, which I normally wouldn't do. And this had a susceptible... It had This place has side bets, which are susceptible to high-low counts. So I put max bets on the side bets as well, right? I'm just... I've watched. I've prepared. I'm set up. I'm ready to go to just clobber this shoot. And... <laughs> Is that the King's Bounty bet you're talking it about in that King's game? Bounty. Yes, okay. correct. Similar to Lucky Ladies, which a lot of people have probably seen. Right. So, uh, in about the first five hands, uh, the older gentleman at first base got three blackjacks, and the dealer got a blackjack, and I didn't get any blackjacks. And this, this is, I think, of the side bets, I caught one. I caught 120. I think I did catch a couple aces, but I didn't get blackjacks with them. In fact, I think ultimately I lost the hands, you know, where, you know, you're dealt ace three and ace four. What are you going to do except for lose? Here I set everything up and I was all prepared, pushed out my money, and I just lost. And I got buried in that game, just absolutely buried because I missed everything, right? The dealer got a blackjack. The old man got you know, he received three blackjacks. And what's so hilarious, so <laughs> by the end of the shoe, now I have to play out the rest of the shoe. And of course, the rest of the shoe sucks because we just we just ate all the good cards. And so I play through the rest of the shoe. And by this point, there was an Asian man who had shown up at third base all eager to play. No mid-shoe entry, so he has to wait. And by the what's so hilarious, I lost so much money that shoe. And this old man at first base, he doesn't know any better. He's just playing. He, he wasn't even playing very well. Uh, in fact, he even got a suited 20 at one point. He got an ace nine of diamonds. I do remember that very distinctly. And that guy had won so much money in that shoe. And all I could think to myself is, well, he he won it because of me. And at one point he says something to me and I even say, I'm just really talking to myself, but I say, you're welcome. Right. He, he didn't even hear me. No, it's because- <laughs> It's, you know, you're welcome that you have all these chips in front of you in the, you know, because it's because I was paying attention. So, but, but the, the interesting thing is doesn't matter how well prepared I was in that particular instance. And it truth be told, especially in shoe games, I don't tend to shuffle track because a lot of times you don't see nice distinct clumps like that. And, but the, in this particular case, I just sat down and it was so clear that we had this nice clump mm-hmm. of, of both tens and aces together that I wanted to take advantage of it. Now I missed. You you did miss in results, but you weren't wrong considering the the cards that the rest of the shoe got or rest Correct. of the, the table got. Yes, and you know that's why I immediately played two hands right off the top. Right, he's playing one hand, I'm playing two, so it's more likely that I'm going to catch uh, those mm-hmm. cards. You know, I know the cards are there, I know they're coming, but it's just the way it turned out. Uh, I was not the recipient of the blackjacks. Now we finished that shoe. Now the Asian guy, he's, you know, you, you say I'm stereotypical, but a lot of them want to cut, right? And he wants to cut the next shoe. Well, of course we have the exact same scenario that we just had. Oh, no. we, had the shoe, we had the shoe before where there's a nice clump of aces and tens at the bottom of the discard tray. Once again, we have a nice clump of aces and tens at the disc, bottom of the discard tray same dealer she's going to do a two pass shuffle and i'm literally having to put my extend my i'm sitting in the middle table extend my arm as far out as i can say no i'm cutting i'm cutting right? yeah the, the new guy cut. doesn't get to cut he's he doesn't get to cut yes now he wants to cut for superstitious reasons i want to cut because i want to preserve that clump mm-hmm. and we did the same thing and the results weren't like as bad in that i lost a huge amount of money but it wasn't it didn't work out well so the the moral of the story is even when you have everything set up and you're in great shape you can still lose right there the variance is very very high in this game and you know yeah. uh you know i spent this was a day where there was a points multiplier day so i i jumped around from table to table just making sure that i was getting 
logged out occasionally to make sure my points were being credited to my account. Mm-hmm. So I bounced around. I mean, the the ta- on a normal day, I would have just sat at this lady's table for a long time, but I bounced around and I came back. But, you know, I played, I, I would think I was in the casino seven or eight hours total that day. And I think I left the casino $3 down from when I walked in. Now, I mean, they gave me food and coffee and, you know, I got a bunch of comps, future comps, and I got a lot of free food comps and whatnot. But uh, just results wise, uh, it was a lot of spinning my wheels. Yeah. It's very similar, uh, to, you know, when you got a, a true count that put, makes you put max bets out there and then you get an 11 double down, you get a deuce and you just get hammered the whole entire shoe when you should be winning money. It's a similar, uh, situation. Yeah. I would say what's even, what even feels worse when you ha- say you have a high count, you have an 11 and you double down is when you get exactly an ace, right? Because the high counts means they're, you know, you also have mm-hmm. extra aces in there and that's probably the most frustrating one where you're, you're happy to double on the 11 because you know, there's lots of high cards and, you know, and that's the case where you want one of the 10 value car high cards, not one of the ace value high cards. So when you mm-hmm. when you eat up a an ace, yeah, an ace, uh, there's yeah, and there's, fuck your hand, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah there's it's double <laughs> bad. So that uh, yeah. the deuce actually bothers me. Is it not the, I'm less disappointed when a deuce rolls off than when an ace rolls off. Well, at least the deuce moves the count in the right direction. Well, so. that's true. That's, you know, yeah, that's true. That's there's that. Because if you usually have a if you have a nine and a two, then another deuce, at least, you know, you're plus two on that hand. Yeah. So which I guess is one way to look at it. I've never next time I get a deuce in that situation, I'm going to I'm going to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of times where, you know, say if the dealer has a six showing and I have an 11 and even if I'm dealt like a four or five, I don't actually feel that bad about the hand. Right. Because we just the counts even higher now. Right. That it's. Mm-hmm even that much more likely that the dealer is going to either, you know, have a 10 value card down and find a 10 value card. So I, I don't, I don't really worry about that. You know, some of those situations I don't worry so much, right? Especially if the count's very high and you have an 11 and you're double down and you peel off exactly a five. It's like, well, that's one less five for the dealer with the 10 down to make 21. So I'm usually, I'm usually happy to see, well, I'm not happy. I know what not, you mean. It's not the not, end of the world. So no, it's not the end yeah. of the world. Yeah, you know, it's the same when you like you have a soft hand and you're doubling, right? I mean, you almost the vast majority of the time you're not making your hand better. You know, all those you know soft fifteens and stuff. You know, you're just drawing tens and you still have fifteen. A lot of people get very disappointed when you know, say they have soft fifteen versus a five and they double and they just get a ten and they're like dejected that they got a ten. It's like, well, you're putting more money out there. Mm-hmm. just on the idea that the dealer's going to bust, not because you think you're going to get a better hand. But. I I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure the case is that if you double soft 18, you're going to lose more hands than if you had stayed on soft 18, but you're doubling your bet. So the, the act of doubling it in the long run means you're going to make more money. I think in the soft 18, so in a regular blackjack, I think it's more than 50%. So the way to look at it is, so there's 13 ranks of cards. All the 10 value cards make your hand no worse, plus the ace, two, and three make it better. So that's seven thirteenths. So that's more than 50% of the cards make your hand no worse. Now, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them make it exactly the same as it was before, but more than or half better. the card, yes, more than half the cards in the deck will make your hand no worse. So, you know, in that case, you're doubling your bet for an 18 or better a vast majority of the time. Well, not vast majority, but more than 50% of the time. Wouldn't it be a third of the cards in the deck make your hand the same? You're no better. Well, four thirteenths. It's a little under a third. I'm pretty close. 30.8? <laughs> yes, correct. 30.8. Yeah. 
So, but yeah. if you add the four ten value cards plus the aces, the deuces, and the trays, that's seven divided by thirteen. Now you're over fifty percent. So more than fifty percent right. of the cards will will not make your hand any worse. So, but when you double soft eighteen, you know as you should at a table. I mean that's just basic strategy, and you know oh people just flip out when you do that. It gets really bad when you start doubling soft nineteens. Then nobody wants to be your friend. So or soft but, twenty, <laughs> if it's yeah, the deviation calls for it, that really that really excites people. I, even you know splitting tens is another one. It's just like nines. Yeah, yeah, even all this, all this, the soft 18 doubles and hits and the splitting nines and the hitting 12s versus two threes, just all the normal stuff. So, you know, mm-hmm. I think even a lot of people get real bent out of shape when you're splitting twos and threes against twos and threes in DAS games. Like, you know, they just, you know, whatever, they hate that. So, but I, when I was younger, I used to worry about what other people thought anymore. I just, I don't care. I'm a, you know, they can complain all they want. I'm, I'm doing what's correct. Yeah. in the same way. And I think just not just a blackjack table in life in general, as long as I know I'm being a good person and doing feeling good about what I'm doing in life. I don't whatever everybody else thinks they can just they can think whatever they think. Mm-hmm. You know, I did have a thought, though, about when you were talking about that, the uh, shuffle tracking uh-huh. that if you do notice a clump like that, another advantage that you may have thought of, but you didn't mention yet was that's a good time to offer cover. Cause you know, a real easy way to spot us is, you know, end of the shoe is very often that that's when our, our ramps are at, especially on a six or eight decker. Very often the last two hands of the shoe were, that's the time for us to ramp. And then you go down to table minimum every time. Yes. The fact that you started at a higher or whatever, I don't know your units, how many units you were betting your first hand off because you know you you cut the meat of that clump to the front and they were going to come out i think that's that's worth something and you, do you agree oh yeah certainly yeah that definitely looks great you know yeah i always feel bad if i'm at a table with another counter and you know you spread to multiple hands and the other person spread to multiple hands and if they have side bets that can be attacked and but you know by the end of the shoe both you have multiple bets out and you have you're ramped on the side bets and then, you know, the supervisor comes by and, you know, for the last, you know, 45 minutes, you've been betting one spot at table minimum. And, you know, and they probably a little puzzled when they see that. And then, you know, the shuffle the cut card comes out, the shuffle goes, and then you're just right back to, you know, one spot at table minimum for the next yeah, you know, half an hour. You've been betting one times 10 forever. Then uh, he walks by you and the other guy are both at two times 200. Yes. Yeah, with side bets out too. The people who never bet the side bets are suddenly interested in playing the side bet. So yeah, yeah. I, I often think to myself, it's like this is just way too obvious. And you know, taking even they, money. Yeah. <laughs> taking yeah. insurance. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Some people don't like taking insurance. They think it stands out. I don't think that has ever caused me any level of heat taking insurance because you know the, the just general rule is insurance is terrible so anyone who takes insurance is stupid and i think that the overwhelming majority of casino personnel believe that now clearly anyone that under you know understands that at high counts you should take insurance or take even money on your blackjacks and the other shows an ace but i think a lot of the rank and file people don't recognize that but the only thing that ever it seems odd to me is where I have big bets out and I have to take insurance and I have to rebuy to take the insurance. Now that I always feel like that yes. is just stands out. It's like who would reach into their pocket to take more cash out to get chips to insure a 14, right? I'm just, yeah, I, I, right. Any, whenever that happens and 
I'm the kind of person I buy in. I I have standard amounts I buy in for, and then if I rebuy, I rebuy for the same amounts. To me, it just makes it easier to track how deep I am into a game. Sure. And even that might kind of stand out because I'm buying in for a, a fairly a fair sum, but a lot, oftentimes I'm betting a very small amount of that sum, which that in and of itself might stand out. But I you know generally I have enough money on the felt at most times to do my double splits or take insurance. But you do occasionally get caught where you have a hot shoe, you've been pumping bets out, you're just losing them left and right. And now you're dealt, you know, a 20 and a 14 dealer has an ace and you want to insure both bets and you don't have money and the de- and the yep. dealer's already trying to close insurance on you. And, you know, I usually pre-announce as yeah. soon, if it's high count, as soon as I see that ace up there, I'm already telling the dealer I'm going to take insurance, right? Just, uh, just so to put them on notice that don't check your whole card yet. I want to insure first. So, yeah. Cause they may look at your 14 and assume you're not going to buy it. Exa- exactly. Even though we know that they're completely two separate bets yes. and it has nothing to do with your hand. Yes. But uh, I think I had another thought that splitting, mm-hmm. um, that it's kind of similar to splitting tens, that it's either along the, like you were saying about the buying insurance, how you said you weren't concerned about it. It's either you're really dumb or really smart. And I think that that can be, it's, you know what I'm saying? I, I'm having a hard time getting it out. It, it's kind of the same thing as far as yes. from their perspective, as far as flag wise go, raising, yeah. raising suspicions goes. Certainly. Uh, you know, I've had so many dealers say just nonsensical plays where the dealer will say, oh, they must be counting cards. Like, so one day I saw a person, he was dealt two aces, right? Clearly a novice player. He just stood, didn't want to do anything. He didn't want to split. He didn't want, you know, most people would split the aces. He didn't want to split. He didn't want to hit. He didn't want to, he just wanted to stay. It's like he was playing poker. I got a pocket aces. I'm staying with my hand. And the dealer asked him like four times, do you want to do, you know, do something with his hand? And everyone else was encouraging him and he just didn't want to. And Mm -hmm. I've seen dealers on plays like that where the dealer will surmise, oh, he he must be counting cards, right? Well, it's obviously not, but or I'll see where they'll split deuces against a dealer 10. And then the dealer will say, oh, well, he must he must be counting cards if he made that play. So they oftentimes you know, I don't know. They, I guess the point is that the dealer couldn't identify a, a good player from a bad player if their life depended on. They have no idea. So right, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny that the guy you said staying on staying on aces that made me think about how a lot of times people think people who count cards can act. They they think for some reason they think that means you memorize every card so you know what the next card coming is. And that's not what we're doing at all. But they think that, oh, you know, the next card's going to be, he knows his next card on those aces is going to be a two and a three. So he's going to stay. Yeah. Even if he just stood. I mean, if he just, you just hit, not split them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In, in that case, that's the only time with this particular person, that's the only time I ever saw someone stay on a hard two. It two. <laughs> no. Two. And he stayed. Two. And, uh, I don't, people have asked me when I tell that story, well, did he win the hand? I don't even remember if he won the hand or not. I, to this day, I can't recall. So I I heard through the grapevine that you and another AP that we work with quite often, or actually a good friend of ours, that you found a side bet and he's really good at math. You're good at math. He did the math and you guys figured out a side count for a particular side bet to exploit. Do you want to, without going into obvious details, because you don't want to kill your goose here, but uh, maybe just a rough thumbnail sketch of that process. Maybe people can learn a little. Sure. Yeah. I, I would say uh, the caveat is the 
Goose has not laid any golden eggs so far. So our even though the game is susceptible to counting, we have a I'm sure we both believe our strategy is sound. Our results have actually been terrible. So but with that said, yeah, we there's a particular game. It's not a new game. It's been around. It's a blackjack game with a side bet. And we were the friend of ours, him and I were talking one day and he we had played the game one day and I just kind of had a rough idea in my mind when would be the right time to bet it without having done the math or it, it was it was basically at very very negative counts to bet this this is what my guess was a very negative counts bet this side bet mm-hmm. so i was betting it a little bit one day and, and his response at the time was like well that just can't be right and so we talked about it days later and he, you know he gave his reasoning and we were just kind of talking conceptually without actually math right and i you know i gave my thoughts as to how it was susceptible and he and he gave his thoughts they were kind of different and i gave my idea of that if you kept a particular side count you could probably attack that side bet so he went away or you know we we've talked days later and well turns out he had fired up a spreadsheet and you know churned through the numbers and he had determined that sure enough at it turns out there were at both very negative counts and with this if you kept a particular side count of particular cards both of those would give you indications of where the side bet's profitable to bet and it's it's kind of nice because the base side bet has a fairly low house vig you know compared to some of those sides mm-hmm. like lucky ladies depending on the payout structure have something like a 17 or more than 20 percent vig depending on the number of decks the right yes yeah, yeah. just mm-hmm. terrible vig right you just might as well just hand the casino your money and walk away <laughs> yeah it's like and, 40, 40 times your main bet. Yes, yes. <laughs> Ridiculous. Exactly. But anyway. Um, so so we talked again days later. He had run through the math. He said, yes, at these particular inflection points, it becomes uh, plus EV to play him. And so, so with that in hand, I said, well, okay, now we need a counting system. So I suggested kind of a, a fairly simplistic kind of high-low-esque count i mean it's similar to high low fairly simple at first we looked at a a run he he was suggesting a running count which will certainly work and i was suggesting more of a balanced count he said okay with balanced count seemed like a work the problem was that for one person to keep both you know a normal count for your main bet so it's a blackjack game so in my case it'd be high low to keep both uh, the main count and the side count was too mentally taxing to do both. So we decided that he would do the side count and I would do the main count. And I'll just give him pointers when we need to do index plays on the main. And I'll tell him when to ramp on the main. And by telling him, I'm just ramping and he sees that. And, you know, so it's mainly like, you know, for positive counts, stay on your 16 V10s or you know, when to not double mm-hmm. 10 V or 11 V 10, stuff like that. All the index plays. So I'm, so at that point, I'm the guy running the main count and adjusting our bets and he's doing the side count and he's letting in when he bets the side bet then i also bet the side bet so you know we've actually practiced this quite a bit you know there's some danger because you have two counters at the same table we're mirroring bets that tends to stick out uh you know if it's a friday night the casino's busy no one's going to pay attention um the particular place we've been doing this at is like no super heat. you know he no he yeah, they just right. don't seem to care good place um, to do this Yes. Yeah. yeah. Good place to at least practice. So you and him have played, have done this where I just, yes. I kept my own uh, high low, but they, I just kind of threw money out whenever you and our, our buddies yes. did on the side bet. Yeah. Correct. So with that said, 
you know, we haven't put in that many hours of this game. It's more of, it's, it's somewhat of, it's an intellectual exercise just to go through it. And mm-hmm. it's kind of neat to run through the math. Best yet would be uh, good results. But the, the hilarious part of this is my actual results on this game are negative 100%, right? So every, <laughs> literally all the money I've ever put on the side bet is just gone straight to the trade, right? I've, n- I've never won. So I'm plus like 300 bucks on it. Yeah, well, I'm... <laughs> I'm down a, a large amount of money and the, in the kind of the big win that we were aiming for, we've, we just never hit it. So, it, so I, I don't think that the math is faulty. I don't think our strategy is faulty. I'm pretty sure they're both sound. We The sample in, size isn't enough. Yeah. Sample size isn't real large, but it is, it shows how high the variance is. Even when you have a situation where you should win, just kind of like we talked earlier about the shuffle tracking, you know, mm-hmm. even I, I, I don't know what my advantage is in that particular spot. It had to have been huge, but the results don't show what the edge was. You should run uh, that count simulator. I'm sure it'd be huge. So, but on this, uh, this other game had kind of, we, he, I mean, he, he's the one that did the math, right? He actually put it all in a spreadsheet. He did the math. He figured out the inflection points. I more of just kind of gave a couple pointers here and there's my thoughts about it. So, but, but, the, but the funny thing is, as much time as we've put in, I have done nothing but lose money. So it's that and that's how it goes. Has he has he made money on it a little bit? Um, I don't think so. I think his results have not been as bad as mine. Um, I think that but we've never hit the big payout. You know, he's hit us some mm-hmm. of the smaller payouts. I've just literally missed all just, you know, just not. Yeah, but he plays like two bucks on it when he does it. I put like 50 bucks when it's I mean, if because I don't know. Uh, that's just i, I think, think if likes, you're gonna hit you're gonna hit it well What's i think that? for him he's he's proof of concept right he he yeah. wants to show that it works without uh putting a lot of money on the felt and i'm of the mindset okay he believes his work is correct i also believe his work is correct and if we're gonna, already going to do all the work to do the counting and sit at the game then i'm going to make it worth worth the while so um, isn't that it, what the simulator's for <laughs> to prove the concept well uh, true you know uh yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I'm I'm pretty sure it's sound, but uh, I'm quite sure it's sound. But yeah, thus far, the results have been uh, terrible. But it's really, really, really small sample size. Yes, correct. Yes. And that kind and, of, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a Spanish player, never have been. A couple of the people we know have really tried attacking the Spanish games this year. And my results... You know, I had not played Spanish until this year. Just wasn't something that I was geared to do. And of all the sessions, and again, I have a very small sample size in, in Spanish. I have never won a single session playing Spanish. I've, <laughs> I've The best result I had is one day I broke even. Every other session, I've just got buried. And, you know, I'm, and I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, I'm sitting with someone else who knows all the correct plays. I, I have a rough approximation. I don't know everything. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm having to ask for advice at times. And I trust the people I'm asking their advice that they know the correct play. So I'm not doubting that I'm being given good advice. But again, my results have been just atrocious. And their results on Spanish haven't been that great either. Either. Yeah, I don't know if they're net positive or net negative, but they're a lot better than my results. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yours are like burning money, like yes, a match. Correct. Yeah, literally just torching money at that. I don't even I don't enjoy that game, so I don't even bother. I, uh, I probably should learn it, but you know. The the bad thing for me is that the more I play and as I just have these negative results, it just creates like a PTSD for me, and then I don't want to play, right? Because yeah. I just feel like even right. though I know conceptually it should work, but my results are so 
poor that it just every time I go and don't win, then it makes it I get even become even more resistant to going back and playing again. So I'm I'm really struggling with that because I look at my results and, you know, even if I'm playing a game where if I flat bet, you know, I should be losing, you know, a couple dollars an hour. And then I look at my actual uh, win rate and I'm at negative two hundred dollars an hour over a fairly fair sample size. It's like, well, I'm I'm off by orders of magnitude where I should. So <laughs> how I many mean, standard deviations is that? It's all oh, of, about three. Uh, yeah, so, like, it's I, all of them. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so it just it, it gets frustrating. And, you know, it's you shouldn't get frustrated, but it's 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 tough at times. Yeah, we're human. You know, that's why the hardest part of this game is the dealing with the, you know, putting the money down and uh, dealing with the losses and the ups and downs and the swings and convincing you have to convince yourself that the math is the math is the math is the math. And, you yeah. know. Uh, going back to the insurance, actually, for me, people, it's weird. People was like, oh, I have insure, I have 20. I need to insure. Right. And actually, I look at exactly the opposite. Right. If if I have yes. if, if the dealer has an ace showing and the count sky high and I have 16, 15, 14 and he and doesn't flip insurance, it and I, yeah. I have an insurance, I, I want to a I want to put an insurance bet and B, I want the dealer to have blackjack right because if the dealer has blackjack i get out of the hand with no loss right i just break even for the hand that's a that's a good outcome especially with a 16 right yeah right. yes right because if if the particular game does not offer surrender then you're sunk right if you stay you lose and if you hit you lose right so there's no good outcome so it's always hilarious to me when people want to ensure their 20s and when i have a stiff a 12 to 16 and i'm you know pushing up my insurance bet and people are questioning it or the dealers questioning well are you sure you want to insure a 14 like yes exactly and i'm right. rooting for the dealer to have blackjack i literally want the dealer to have blackjack why because it gets me out of the hands garbage hand i get out i don't lose any money and i'm on to the next hand so the worst kind of like earlier i was telling what i what's what it's not really frustrating it's what it's like disappointing when you have an 11 and a high count you double and get an ace right it's like well it's not, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be surprising you got an ace because it's a high count that's you know you you what you really want is a 10 but when you get an ace well it's not surprising because well that's part of the high count but what the thing with insurance that i hate is if i have big bets out in a high count and the dealer shows an ace and i insure and the dealer doesn't have blackjack. The only thing that really frustrates me is when the dealer can't flips hit. over. Well, no, when the dealer flips over a nine underneath, right? Right. Because whatever hand I had, most likely uh, they either pushed or lost, right? I mean, the only potential would have been if I would have had an 11 and I would have doubled and got a 10, right? But most of the time, at that point, I would much rather the dealer had a blackjack than a pat 20, right? Because with my insurance bet out, if the dealer had a blackjack, I'd have broke even. But it's the worst possible outcome. Say I have a, an 18 and a 20, and the dealer has an A showing, and I insure. And if the dealer doesn't have blackjack, I lose the insurance bet, and then the dealer flips over a 9, right? And now I lose the second bet, and I push on the third, right? It's just, it's disaster zone. So, so that, to me, that's more of, I hate to see when that scenario plays out, where... I, I just want the dealer to have blackjack. Get me out of this hand, please. Let's go on to the next hand. So. Yeah, it's like a double surrender. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's getting... You know, or a, actually a surrender, because surrender, you get half your bet back. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, when you have a hand that... When you have hands that are too good to surrender, but not good enough to beat a dealer 20, then you're just... You're sunk. So... And then, of course, if you put insurance out, you also lost the insurance bet, too. So... It's the fast track way to lose the maximum amount of money. Yeah, I had a guy, uh, a dealer, like totally admonish me because I surrendered my pair of eights against an ace. And <laughs> he, he said like, ace is an eight, you always split. That's that's 
don't you know that's basic blackjack? And I was, I didn't want to explain to him order of operations because that's just too much table talk, you know? But yes. I was just like sitting there letting him be rate me and tell me, explain to me why what I was doing was wrong. And did I come here to gamble or did I come here to just give half my money away? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, because they're focused on that one hand. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are very resistant to surrendering. A lot of players don't like surrendering. They think it's dumb. So it's like, I, that's where I will often tell people, well, I just hate money or I'm just here gambling away my trust fund or my mom gave me this money. Those are the kinds of, re- just to kind of yeah. deflect the conversation away. To confirm so, to buy confirm they're yes. already held that you're an idiot. Yes, correct. Yeah, I'm just here <laughs> blowing through my trust fund, so leave me alone. Yeah, that's funny. I can kind of relate though in other ways in life. They have a blind spot for playing smart at blackjack with women. I have a blind spot for, and I'm sure you'll you'll agree with this for putting up with shit that nobody, no human being should have to put up with for yes. way too long. Correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. So I ha- I can't really admonish them too bad because I have similar blind spots in my life. Yes, so, correct. So you know, they- we all do the takeaway is you should learn to surrender bad relationships there you go (laughs) so do you have any stories you might want to add i think i've told the story before on your podcast of the time uh the no what i like to call the no draw story i was at first base and you were at third base i had an 11 dealer was showing an eight i had an 11 i doubled down and i got like an ace or a deuce right so i I have a bad. And you had something like a pat 19. Now, often when we're at the table, I'll call no draw if the dealer, whatever the dealer down card is, if that, that down card can't beat anyone. So when the dealer has an eight showing, the best possible hand the dealer can have is 19 with an ace down. You know, they, an 18 with a 10 down yeah. or a 19 with an ace down. So in your case, I think you had a pat 19 and the dealer had an eight showing. So you, for <laughs> you, as long, if the dealer doesn't draw, you cannot lose, right? You can push, but you can't lose. And, but in this case, since I had an 11 double, then I got, I believe it was a deuce. I need the dealer to draw and bust. Otherwise I can't win. So, but the, the hilarity was we were at this table and I get my 11, I double down, I get a deuce. So I have 13 and you have like a pat 19 and the, and now it's the dealer's turn and the dealer has an eight showing and you're blurting out to the dealer, no draw. And I'm thinking, what the hell? I have 13. I need a draw. If the dealer doesn't draw, I can't possibly win. So, so to this day, I, yeah, we often bring the story up to people the no draw story where you know i get thrown underneath the bus so you can win yeah f- um, fuck snowman over there yeah but in bill yes so hilariously recently i was with a friend of ours and we were at top of our ramp or something i think the dealer had a five showing and i had two stiffs like a 13 and a 14 and he had two pat 20s and it was a lucky ladies game so i, I believe he even won the side bets he had two pat 20s and i had a 13 and 14 i think so i have two stiffs he has two pat 20s dealer has a five showing the dealer flips over his whole card has a five down so now the dealer has 10 so high count so we're just sunk and the dealer drew a seven so the dealer had 17 right and so he wins both his hands i lose both my hands and he says good And I say, (laughs) not good. So I know for him, it was good because I know when he saw the 10, in his mind, he's like, oh man, there's no way I'm winning this hand. I mean, he's probably going to push. And if a dealer, if an ace rolls off, he's going to lose all his bets, right? And so he's relieved when it's (laughs) only a seven that rolls off to make 17. But he says, good. And I was was like, no, that's that's not good, right? Yeah, Right. I'm glad you won, but that also means I lost. So Right, that's funny. and And it reminded me of the, yeah, 
yeah, the no draw thing where, you know, I get thrown underneath the bus. Similar to that story, it kind of reminds me of you just sitting at a table and say a ploppy is tipping a dealer pretty well, like throwing grain at him constantly or whatever. And say the dealer's rooting for him and say dealer pulls, say that the player has 20, let's say I have 17 or 18 and the dealer pulls a 19, similar to your story. Yeah. And, and he's like, all right, cool. Or he's like, all right, yeah. awesome. And I'm yeah. like, hey man, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it didn't change the cards yes. anyway, but it, but it's yes. still kind of like F you dude. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I know he's the dealers just, you know, rooting on the guys taking care of. And I get that perspective too, but I mean, yeah, it's just uh pretty kind of funny anyway. It's kind of a fun little thing. None of it really matters, but it's kind of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't affect the cards in any way. It's more of just like, you know, it's like, Hey, fuck you, dude. I thought you're my friend. <laughs> yes. <exactly. laughs> what the hell? Huh? See how you roll, man. Yes. <laughs> you know, when the chips are down, I see who's important. Especially when it's a significantly sized bet. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's the nickel or whatever. And then he's like, "Oh, all right, good." Yeah. No, <laughs> I not... and I understand both in in this recent case and the case where it happened with you and me that you know there was there was no it was not there was no maliciousness involved. It was just like you were concentrated on your bet, but I didn't even know what well. you had, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I was I, like, oh I shit, had, sorry. <laughs> I, had, I had 13, I think. I did yeah. not have enough to win. I know that. Yeah, that's funny, man. <laughs> Well, I hope you all enjoyed the interview with the snowman today. I know I sure did. Learned a little bit, laughed a little bit, all that good stuff. I just want to say that I really appreciate all of you listeners. You guys have been awesome, and I appreciate the emails and the feedback. And on that note, if there's anything you guys would like to hear on the show, any specific guests or specific topic or any ideas, I'm all ears. Email it to me at tens and aces, the number 21 at gmail.com. That's tens and aces, the number 21 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. See you down the felt. Here's a few messages from our sponsors. Find your paradise. Go to visitlasvegas.com. By the fact that you're listening to a podcast about blackjack and advantage play, it's clear that you're interested in this topic and most likely interested in becoming the best blackjack player you can become. Now, I suppose there are exceptions to this. Like, for example, maybe you're an uninterested significant other trapped in the car listening to this. Or maybe you're a kid trapped in the car forced to listen to this because your phone is dead and you can't tune out the world with your headphones in like you normally would. And by the way, kids, I apologize for all the F-bombs that I've dropped on this show. Please don't follow my example. Or maybe, just maybe, you don't like money and you want to continue to play blackjack and not make your game better. If you happen to fall in any of those categories, by all means, tune out and don't listen to a word that I have to say right here. But if you want to learn how to be the best blackjack player you can be, learn and grow your game, I suggest you check out blackjackapprenticeship.com. They offer what is, in my opinion, not only a world-class education on the game of blackjack, but the absolute best education you can find. 
anywhere for this game. They offer online training drills, a supportive community, as well as other exclusive tools that are critical to your success. Even if you already know the ins and outs of this game and don't really need the training they offer per se. That's great. I'm kind of in that boat myself and I imagine there are several others of you that are as well. So even for people like us, just the opportunities and networking alone that this site offers is worth the price of admission and then some. I also can't stress enough that it is a wonderful and supportive community of other APs. There is almost no trolling in the forums there. So once again, I urge you to check out blackjackapprenticeship.com if you're serious about growing your game. 